Hello, hello, OdaFest listeners. This is Season 7, Episode 33 of the OdaFest Podcast. It's been an entire week. Did you miss us? We missed you. And by us, I mean me and Nancy and Jay. I miss. I miss, I miss. I missed you all. I never miss. Ooh. I'm I'm not gonna lie, but I have a really a really great uh, accuracy in almost every FPS game. I think I get like almost two percent hits. Not gonna lie, I think that's pretty damn good, pretty impressive, if you ask me. I'm jealous. I'm actually super terrible at FPS games, but we'll get into that. But before we get into that, thank you to everyone who dropped by our booth at Calgary Expo. We greatly enjoyed seeing you all spinning our prize wheel, living out your cosplays, and your happy faces during a convention. Thank you all for your support. And a reminder that you can still pre-purchase your OdaFest weekend passes at the early bird price of $55. Visit OdaFest.com and get yours now. Now. So, Jay and Nancy, both of you went to Calgary Expo. We sure did. Uh, it was a little bit overwhelming at first to just be in a sea of people again. It has been a while since it was like that. Even last year was not quite that saturated with people. Uh, this mm-hmm. year it was like full on. Like I went on Saturday, so busiest day, lots of people. Um, it was... It was weird. It was like coming home to a convention, right? Like conventions aren't something we've had in a while. And, you know, when you get over the initial shock and discomfort of seeing so many people in a space together and immediately around you and you're in it, it, it's it really comes back very quickly. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of folks look like like they were enjoying themselves. Um, Obviously, lots of cosplayers lots of general fandom folks walking around lots of merchandise in their hands i like the artist alley i didn't like where the artist alley was but the logistical stuff that they kind of had to face because there's a lot of construction on the stampede grounds right now is something that they can't just like overcome by choice but i i liked the feel of it overall like it had a genuine good convention feel which gives us hope as OtaFest because we're in one month we're in less than a month we're in 26 days or something like that it really is coming up quick oh my god yeah oh i know that you weren't gosh. um like at the booth or like at nancy and angelo obviously you weren't <laughs> there at all but it was really nice to see so many familiar faces <clears throat> reconnecting with, um, you know, it's not like we know every attendee uh, as much as we'd like to, but a lot of folks, you know, coming back, very excited, um, you know, hearing a lot of positive things. They're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. It's been a long two years. Uh, I, I think on the organizing side, and I don't mean this in any bad form, but like we're a little bit rusty on the organizing side, so I'm hoping that we can sharpen up by the time you know we need to be sharp. Just because like it was two years and there was a lot of planning in two years, but there was also a lot of thinking and a lot of like you know reorganization and a lot of attention to other details that weren't necessarily con related. But it's kind of I, I feel like 
when I was talking with our chair, Jenny, uh, the way that she phrased it was like, we were kind of hitting our stride back in about 2017, 2018, 2019, to the point that like by mid-April, we'd be like, why isn't Odafest here yet? Like, we're ready to go. Like, we are good. We have our ducks in a row. The contracts are signed. You know, the I's are dotted. The T's are crossed. It's con time. And in comparison, even though we've had a few, more than a few years to sort of prepare for this one, we're a little bit behind because there's something that, like, I don't know what it is. It's not like complacency because there's a lot of stuff going on. I think it's just understanding the scale of what we do. And we were like a much more oil, well-oiled machine. And now we're a little bit clunkier just because like... It's been a while. We're not going... Yeah, yeah. It's just been a while. So mm-hmm. like we're shaking off some rust. I but, mean, um, on the organizational side of things... The same mm-hmm. organization uh, tactics, the th- same things that we've been doing every year have taken place over the last two years. It's just mm-hmm. that I, maybe there's a little bit of fatigue around a lot of people putting in their time, their effort, trying to set everything up and then just being like, oh, pandemic is getting in the way of it happening. Well, I mean, I think it, like it goes along with like everything and everybody too. like. When we say it's our team, but the truth is, is like there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved and I'm not putting blame on anybody. It's more just like the general understanding that, you know, for some of our guests, for example, it might be the first time they've been out back to a con or it could be that, um, you know, some vendors or some venue related type stuff like they're you know, still dealing with the idea that we like, you know, uh, uh, their details are still to be worked out and they haven't done this in a while or whatever the circumstances have been. So it's sort of like a group project where everybody has some uncertainty because like another one that we did get, um, and I don't want to make it a big deal, but like there's still the ever looming reality that we are in a pandemic still even though it doesn't quite feel as you know world ending as it used to be and one of those um things that would be out of our control out of pretty much anybody's control is if there were to be a new government mandate for example right so a lot of people still have that concern but i think as a whole i think we're fine i think that i i really believe that you know we're gonna have a great show I know that we're going to have a great show because honestly, just seeing people's faces, meeting people again, people letting us know that they've been looking forward to it for the last two years. I have been, you know, when we had to announce that we had to cancel a couple of years ago, you know, and how disappointed they were, all of those things that we're overcoming now to bring to a head here next month. I can't, I can't tell you how encouraging that is, you know? So I really appreciate it. I know it's a ramble, but it's mm-hmm. finally yes. happening. It's it feels like the world is slowly starting to turn again if you catch my drift. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. That's a great way to describe it because there's been so much 
emotional, mental turmoil in the last few years. Uncertainty. And it just feels like uncertainty, instability. And it feels like things are finally going again. It, that, yeah. that stalled mm-hmm. machine that we used to live in is now finally unstalling and now we're moving again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we got to, we, we really saw a lot of love at the booth. I was there for I ran the better into so part many of three days. I ran into so many people I hadn't seen in so long. Yeah. Yeah, so many faces. Everyone was so willing to come by, say hi, you know. Almost everyone had the universal sentiment of, oh my God, I miss Odafest. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and we made a lot of new friends too. I feel like I really missed out. Uh, part of me wasn't really ready to be in a huge crowd again, but totally. there were there were quite a few people there. Uh, one of our friends, Ozzy J. Lee, a prolific Calgary uh, cosplayer, he was signed as a guest at CCE. I was very, and, very mm-hmm. grateful that I got to see a glimpse of Mr. Ozzy J. Lee. And that's Just amazing. a small glimpse. I didn't he even get to say hi. He doesn't have time for Nancy anymore. No, hey, another he friend doesn't. of oh my mine. God, he's forgotten us little people. <laughs> I knew this would happen. Uh, another friend of mine, a streamer friend, was also a guest there. And uh, mm. it's just really cool. It's just awesome to to see that for them. Maybe next year. Maybe next year I should go, no matter what. Yeah, and it, it's good to have that goal to work towards. And, you know, I very carefully assessed if it was okay for me to go this weekend. Uh, and I was still really mm-hmm. just assessing by the time even, like, Wednesday, Thursday came around, like... I was very lucky. I wasn't the only one running this panel. If I needed to dip for whatever reason, I knew that, you know, my partner Mike would be able to handle it by himself. Uh, It would suck to not get to do it with him. uh, But at the end of the day, I knew that it wouldn't be a panel that just gets canceled. Uh, Panel went great. Holy cow. What a reception. What a nice welcome back. Uh, Full house. And thank you to everyone who came. Because it was such a lovely experience. And everyone always brings slightly different questions to these every year. Um, There were some amazing cosplays in the crowd, too. So those kept me smiling the whole panel. Ah, I miss seeing cosplay. Yo, there was this... uh, Nancy, I'm sure sure you've seen, but just on the mention of cosplay. Yeah. um, Did you see the the big Gundams? Yes, they were great. So there were some my, uh, like about about ten foot tall Gundam cosplays. Oh my god! Where guys were like walking mm-hmm. around in like a stilt costume, but they were like light up with the face, like the eyes, oh and like god. the beam sword kind of thing on their back, and it was very impressive. Our Gundam team, which also manned the booth at times, had seen them, and they were like, "Oh my god!" Oh, they flipped. <laughs> They flipped out yeah. about them. It was so cool. Oh, that sounds so good. The one thing that mm-hmm. I always worry about when I see cosplay like that huge uh, is like, is it is it actually causing a problem? Is it is it like impeding traffic throughout the convention? If you think about it with Japanese conventions, like Comic-Con and, and such, they have a separate area of the of the expo hall or whatever, specifically for cosplay. To the point where, like, the vendor's room, to my understanding, you're not even supposed to cosplay in there because oh, that's crazy. it I impedes never heard traffic. That. It impedes traffic. Hmm. Like, people stopping to ask for photos and things like that. 
Oh, but I, I think they also have like a a greater population. Oh, they absolutely do. Like, that. like their density. I'm not. I'm not mm. criticizing Kamake for doing that. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen here ever because I love having all the cosplays just in and around every Everywhere. single part of the convention. I, oh, totally. I really think that that's just awesome. Mm-hmm. I agree. But every now and then, when I think about those giant ones, those absolutely epic cosplays i'm thinking okay that's super cool and i want to see more cosplay like that but how many of those cosplay can the can the convention center fill or (laughs) yo hold on hold on so i was really curious about after what you said about like cosplay rules at comic cat okay so tell me how i'm wrong so i looked it up no no you're not wrong uh so much as i haven't found that particular bit yet but like there's interesting stuff that I never thought I've never thought of or or yeah, just never knew. So it's more than just a traffic um, thing. There is like a cosplay fee. A fee. They charge you to cosplay. Ooh. It's anything you should like get a it. discount. Come on. Mm. Kamake, what the hell? <laughs> there's like so there's like it looks like it's a so on cosplay.com. There's like cosplay rules for Comic Cat, but I don't know how old they they are. They look like the the the. It doesn't look like it's been managed well. This set of rules, it's from 2010. Oh wow, that's pretty old. Okay, oh. so obviously mm. quite a while. But like, um, I can't imagine that that many things have changed. If that makes sense, right? Like, they might have changed some things, but at one point we can at least ascertain that. Certain rules were you can't arrive or depart Comicet in cosplay. You have to use their changing rooms. You have to bring like your stuff and then change oh, there. That I thought that was very, interesting. very That makes for a very difficult transportation to and from because you're carrying so D- much extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, dressing rooms are open from 10 a.m. to 3:30. And will accept new registrations only during this time. Hmm. It's very strict then. That's so weird. Yeah. And then dressing room, or sorry, the first cosplay area has a has a six hour window from ten to four. The second cosplay area is also ten to four. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, There's these a problem are not here. the same hours as the rest of the event. So the dressing rooms are open ten to three. The cosplay area is ten to four. But you can't leave the convention in your cosplay. Mm-hmm. How does that work? How does that work? Cosplayers have it's just time limited travel? cosplaying window. I guess I guess you're changing in the hallways. Oh jeez. <laughs> oh, but I think these cosplay areas are outdoors. They are. Uh, usually, they are just so for like in lighting case of for bad scenery. weather. The cosplay areas may be closed. Oh, we will yikes. open alternate end areas indoors for photography. Limitations on cosplay costumes. Hmm. Uh, You can't cosplay as a public servant or rescue worker. Okay. Uh, That reminds me. Like 12 years ago, back when Madoka Magica was airing, uh, because because of the way that everyone was seeing it, there were these morning rescue uh, commercials that became exceptionally memed exceptionally memed and so there were these guys in like a, an orange jumpsuit and they would like 
rappel down from the roof or the side of a building to offer mm. someone a bottle of morning rescue to drink. And <laughs> I just thought about that. I've seen cosplays of those morning rescue commercial guys. Oh. They wouldn't be able to do that in Japan. I guess not. They they um, would be they would be cosplaying as like rescue personnel. Yeah. They have, it says, uh, large costumes like fursuits and kigurumi costumes are limited. Um, any protruding parts, shoulder pieces, wings, or other Tails. large pieces might hurt others or get caught in escalators and are therefore Ooh. forbidden. Large hats and masks may be worn for photos but must be removed when moving through the halls, which is understandable. To a certain extent, limitations in cosplay, weapons of any size or make, including swords, bows, guns, knives, props over 30 centimeters. I mean, I feel bad because to our listeners, it just sounds like I'm, listen- I'm reading through terms and conditions. So I apologize. <laughs> but I think it's just very interesting. Like fl- items that make noise. You can't have flutes, instruments. I'd be worried about carrying an glass instrument. props. Okay, that would make sense. The glass props I can see. Cosplay area prohibitions. Uh, no performances. You can't. You can't dance or do a performance. Don't trample the plants. No saving spots. No camping photography spots or claiming areas of the event for your own exclusive use is forbidden. I can see that. With all those, it just makes me think how this is something that people do over here. Even uh, they'll they'll do a cosplay shoot, just like sometimes in a park or near a building or something, just on the weekend. No, mm-hmm. uh, no convention anywhere nearby just because they want really mm-hmm. nice fo- uh, cosplay photos. And mm-hmm. uh, it just it reminded me how in uh, My Dress of Darling, an anime from last season, they did the same thing. They found like an old abandoned school uh, for some for some cosplay photo shoots. Uh, nice. And I say an old abandoned school, but because of the plot, somehow there was some some group that owned the old abandoned school and rented it out for like $300 an hour. Yikes. Specifically for photo shoots. I don't uh. know what's all, what that is, but that's an anime plot point. That's not important. But uh, with all those, with all those restrictions uh, for Comic Hit, I feel like why would you even bother cosplaying to the convention? Instead of just cosplaying for fun outside of the invent- the convention and then just enjoying Kamike for what it is. But I, I, I really mm. hope that doesn't happen over here, you know? Uh I, it's really cool. When you see the when you see the big, giant, amazing cosplays, you can get worried. But I still love to see them. If you miss Japan or want to go but haven't had the chance yet, come to Oomomo to get a feel of Japan. Oomomo is a nationwide Japanese lifestyle store carrying over 25,000 different products at affordable prices. You can find Japanese snacks, stationery, beauty and cosmetics, ceramics, cookware, electronics, toys, which are all imported from Japan. We're happy to have a booth in OdaFest this year and we'll offer a free Oomomo tote bag when you spend $20 or more at our booth. Please check out our unique and fun products at oomomostore.com or at our Calgary location in Pacific Place Mall. We hope to see you there. 
It's so interesting to me that you have to pay a fee to cosplay. It's about ten dollars. It's about twelve dollars. Yeah, one thousand yen. That's lame. Is that right? That's about twelve bucks, I think. But okay, I want to I want to back up a little bit and talk about like the future of of uh, convention life here in Calgary. So this was my first time seeing the grounds in the state that it's currently in. And okay. since, a lot of construction. since yeah, so since the last time I was here, you know, the Victoria Park station's been torn up. They've been renovating slash expanding the, uh, the BMO Center. So like it's the well, first the building you see gone. when you come in. Or sorry, and the corral is gone. And then you come in and you're just like, wow, that is way bigger than I And then like it hit me for a second. I've been going to the Stampede Grounds, you know, not every summer, but at least once every few years. Like, I grew up here. Since you were a baby. I have, since I was a wee child, I have pictures of me standing in front of that building, the way it used to look, and the way the skyline mm-hmm. used to look. And and I'm never going to see that view of that building ever again. It's gone. Like that, they've refaced the entire building. It looks nothing the way it used to. And they're expanding it and they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, dang, this place has changed. It's not just the people and like not being in crowds anymore as a norm. It's everything about this whole place is changing. And then, you know, we were, my my friend and I, Mike, we were talking before panel started. And it was like, you know... Odafest is already very big and we take up as much of the TCC as possible. Wouldn't it be great in the future if it also took place at the BMO? And then it would be, it would be huge. We'd have so much room. And like, you know, we obviously got carried away with the image of what that future looks like. And I'm not saying anything about us having plans to move there. But it was just a really interesting fancy that we talked about. Just from being back here again. I would want to see... Stephen Avenue filled to the brim with cosplayers. Yeah, me too. That'd be like, so for, fun. For where we are right now, I would want Odafest. I would want Odafest to commandeer the entire street. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? All I can really think about, honestly, after my uh, Comicat rules reading, and some <laughs> of the stuff was like. Comicet has crazy hours, I think, too. Like they're they're like they start really early in the day. I think maybe a six or seven a.m. start, which is pretty early for a con. I was just thinking about like if we scaled up, it's just terrifying because like we do a lot of work as it is, and part of it is like yes, we're a nonprofit. None of us get paid. We're all volunteers. We've all heard it, and you know we appreciate it. But I think. That's because we also are like happy to do it at the scale that it's at. I think if we scaled higher, it becomes very difficult because there's a lot more work involved. Mm-hmm. So much to the point that it's to the detriment of your actual professional Experience. life. Experience. Yeah. Not to mention you're also prefer- your personal life, the commitments you have to your friends and family that isn't your con family. And as her- as heretical as that statement was... Um, yeah, like professional conventions exist for a reason, but that's because they take up their entire professional life. It's mm-hmm. true. To put on a big show, it takes yeah, a lot of work. 100%. Don't know if I could do it. Don't know if I could do it. 100%. Don't know if I would do it. It's most likely the answer is no, because I, it's a work-life balance idea. 
And you like your current job. Odafe- you like I love Odafest. everything I do at Odafest, but that's actually part of my work-life balance. I enjoy the things I do at Odafest. They're things that I cannot do at work. But if I started, I have friends that got into career paths that were like essentially like, I've turned my hobby into my job and mm-hmm. now I hate it. Oh. <laughs> see, you hear it all oh. the time. You see oh, yeah. it all the time. I don't want, I do not want Odafest to ever become that for me. No. I'm just speaking personally, not. but I feel like that's actually the vibe that we get from that, a lot of our staff. Well, okay. So that, that also extends to a whole bunch of things too. Like um, if you're in any kind of creative hobby that so so angelo and i we both work in the technical field uh but for our side gigs they are very creatively heavy focused and that that sometimes has the wonderful joy of functioning as a way for you to keep balance in the types of work that you do in your life but i heavily suspect that one day if I were to tilt really hard into creative side as my main like my main gig it's no longer my second gig or my side gig it becomes my main gig should that happen I would have to purposefully seek out technical side projects to do to keep myself Mm -hmm. balanced and and I I know that would be a thing for me Mm -hmm. I, I very heavily suspect it because of the kind of person I am I crave some kind of balance in my in mm-hmm. my life and that would have and to be something that i would need to accept we've definitely touched on similar topics before about we had we didn't really call it work-life balance but things like streaming professionally for example the idea mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people out there they have that idea where it's like hey i could play games for a living i'm like but then it's not just for fun mm-hmm. it is literally a commitment it's a job. To for a living not fun yes it, yeah, when you when you have to start paying bills and enjoy like what your hobby, it actually becomes difficult. There are very few people that can truly do it consistently. You might be able to do it for a couple of years, maybe five years. I'm not saying that you couldn't go beyond that, but there's a reason why there's like people out there that are consistent and have made a living off of it. It's because those are actually the exceptions to the rule. They do that because they're able to and they enjoy it, not just because they're able to. Everyone's just about able to if you have a working internet connection and a library of video games and a personality. Hell, you could One even thing. maybe do without the personality. One thing that's always that I've always thought of when it comes to streaming as a career, what do you do afterwards? Like this is uh, something that another streamer that I watch often has uh, spoken about every now and then they've been streaming professionally for seven years now. If people just stop watching their streams, what do they do? How, how do you put on your resume that? Yes. Uh, for the last seven years, I was, I was an anime girl for, uh, for money. How, how do you I do mean, that? <laughs> you know, it's I'm the same thing saying that you're self-implied and everything. Uh, and I mean, there's, there's absolutely, uh, career paths that can come out of that. Almost mm-hmm. any kind of uh, uh, creative planning for for a kind of uh, production can work. If you wanted to be a manager or, or a talent manager or something for streams or some other stream-adjacent business, you could do that. Mm-hmm. But it's just... And I am not... 
I, I don't want to take it away from anybody situation. that you are. People are capable of doing these things. I personally say that I'm not capable of doing these things because I know what my work-life balance is and I don't need to imagine it any other way for myself. I am very happy with what I do professionally. I am very happy with what my creative involvement is with Odafest. And if that were to shift towards Odafest being a professional thing, it would be very difficult for myself. Uh, I, I don't actually... Uh, imagine I would have as much fun as I do now. The and I another, wouldn't put myself in places to be creative. Another pitfall of taking something that you like, a hobby that you like, and making it your main source of income, uh, something that a lot of people don't think about, is that suddenly you are not only doing your hobby that you used to love as a, as a means of employment now, you're also basically running a business on top of that. You you suddenly take on a million different administrative roles mm-hmm. in uh, in this what used to and be you may a not for be, fun sort you of You may thing. not be a business-minded person. You may be a very creative person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have that you either haven't developed the management skills or have taken education for that. The business acumen. or you're maybe just not how many good spoons at it, does it take not, to run a business? You know, yeah, it's not necessarily an unfair assessment of, you know, yourself when you're like, I'm good at the creative side, but I suck at the business side. There's a lot of moving parts to that whole equation if you're trying to make it as a professional creator. So, you know, sometimes you're lucky and you're surrounded by the right people or you are the right person yourself. But the truth is, is that there's so many of those opportunities, but there's only so many cre- uh, sorry, successful people in those opportunities right so and that's why i keep my hobbies as just hobbies <laughs> exactly. i on the other hand have had to learn a lot of business acumen and i don't love it so like i straight up straight up the business side of voice acting is not my favorite part of the job it is the mm-hmm. worst part of the job because your focus is on things like metrics dollars your focus is on mm-hmm. invoices. Are people paying you mm-hmm. on time? Do you need to chase people down? Which sometimes the answer is yes. Uh, I mean, are you, you know, are you selling yourself right? And and if anyone here knows me on a personal level, you know that I suck at selling myself. I am not the right personality to talk about myself and what I do. And mm. the the part where I get to talk about what I do and why I love it, that part's fine. But if I'm trying to Mm -hmm. sell you on it, hire me, that's the part where Mm -hmm. I fall short. And marketing yourself is a very important thing when it comes to any profession. Very true. But especially especially for creatives. Yeah, because it's an addition-based thing for you all the time. But it's like Mm -hmm. putting into like meta perspective here, people. Our podcast probably gets about... I don't want to talk about the exact numbers, but we probably get anywhere from about, I think it's about 70 concurrent listeners to over 150. It's It depends. Um, our metrics are kind of weird, to be totally honest. But that's because we also don't really push a lot of aspects of like having a podcast. We do this for fun. Yay. But I'm not like needing to be like, hey... You have to listen to this. I didn't push the podcast at all during 
Calgary Expo at the booth. I was like, did you know we have a podcast? I was like, we have a May Cafe? Come to the con. You know, that's my main interest. And this is for fun. And this is for um, a select group of people who wanted to hear about three nerds who also run a convention locally. And if that's not totally your thing, I totally get it. Go listen to some more true crime. I'm here to hang out with Nancy and Jay for an hour and a half a week. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's been a great excuse for us to get together. It's been a good mental exercise as well, especially during like, I'll be honest, the pandemic was, uh, you know, kept a lot of people away and separate from each other. And we had to figure out logistics for recording this. But that was not the worst part. The worst part was like not doing this, you know. So yeah, and honestly, this was a perfect I, excuse it, for us to keep in touch on a weekly basis. Like exactly out, outside of playing games together, this was possibly the best way to foster that human connection all throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And like That's true, we push. Obviously, we do have a marketing department, and we do advertise, and we as a as as a con, I mean, and we do push things, but we're not like at the professional level of doing it because we actually don't have. A huge interest. We, our interest is keeping Odafest alive and well, but we don't need to become Comiket, for example, or you know, a fan expo of any particular scale. We are just ourselves, and we're here for our community, as you all know. So, as long as we're doing that, and as long as we're being supported in doing that, there's no end to it that I can foresee. And I think we're very happy about that. There's a satisfaction to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I'm happy about? A lot of introspection this episode. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm happy about getting a new tablet. Ooh, tell me about your new toy. Tell me, tell me about your new toy. So for the last 10 years, actually for the last since I've ever had a tablet, uh, which Mm -hmm. would have been since 2009, I think that was the first time I got one. I've been using... Your basic tablets, but I've been, I've I've been using the nice Wacom ones, but they're the non-screen mm-hmm. tablets. I had a fr- at first like a bamboo uh, a bamboo tablet, and oh, then a too. larger uh, in two oh four. Those bamboo tablets Same. were only like thirty dollars too. Like they were pretty. The good Wacom value. ones were one hundred and thirty dollars, yeah, which at even, the time was still basic really a good deal. Yeah. The uh, yeah. the Intuos one that I bought at the time it was the medium size one, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so with that, it went from like a six-inch drawing area to like an eight-inch drawing area, yeah. And uh, it was four hundred dollars at the time. This was like ten years ago, and I've been using it ever since. I love that tablet. It has been my main drawing tool. Uh, but I finally upgraded. I finally upgraded. XP Pen had a rebranding sale, and I was like, oh, I can finally get myself a screen tablet. How much are they? And so with the discount from the rebranding sale, it was $50 cheaper for a 13-inch 1080p IPS display tablet. Well, I guess you went on screen size. $50 cheaper than my Intuos uh-huh. 4 from 10 years ago. Holy mm. crap, what a deal. Meanwhile, Nancy went the other way and was like, I guess I'll get an iPad Pro. And so we now, all know how much those cost. I have I have feelings on the matter. I uh-huh. really love my new tablet. I really do. It is, in every way, a better tablet. But there are certain things about my old Intuos 4 that I miss. Uh, one of them is the wireless aspect. 
So my Intuos 4, because I didn't have to worry about a screen because it was just uh, input, I got this little wireless module add-on and the fact that it could be an add-on was also really cool. So it was completely wireless. And so mm-hmm. I would just have the little, little, little chunk of plastic in front of me and I could scribble away. Uh, whereas with my new tablet, I need I need some wires. I need some cords. It takes mm-hmm. up an HDMI port on my graphics card, which means that if I ever want to play VR, I have to unplug my tablet and plug the VR in. Ah. Uh, another thing is that I straight up do not like the pen as much. Uh, mm. it, it, it has a thicker head, which I do enjoy. Uh, but I, I don't like don't the like taper those. of it. Uh, I don't like the taper of it. And the other mm. thing is on Wacom tablets, a lot of the Wacom tablets, if you wanted to switch from pen to eraser mode, you would yep. just flip the the pen over like you're using a yes. real pencil, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the XP pen pens do not do that. They don't have that as a feature. Oh. They still support oh. the eraser mode and it's just a button click on the pen, which arguably arguably is the easier, more ergonomic way to do it because you're not flipping around an entire pencil. You're not doing that little hand motion. Mm-hmm. But I like doing the little hand motion. It feels also, good. Also, you might inadvertently I, press the button. I enjoy I, I enjoy the, the, the doing the action and also having the physical feedback, the, the pen being in a different orientation for it, instead of it being a software switch. So when I press the switch, it mm-hmm. does come up on my screen. It's like, oh, you're in pen mode. Oh, you're in eraser mode. Oh, whatever. But like Jay says, you could make a mistake about it. You could accidentally be in the wrong mode. You can't Look at the pen and tell what mode you're in. You have to be like, oh, what mode am I in? I'd better press the button to make sure I'm in uh, the mode that I want to be. I see. It's, it's, a, so, it's like an anachronism, right? Like It is. It, it literally it is. is. It's an anachronism or a schemorphism where yeah. there's no reason that modern technology, you should have to flip the pen around to erase. That I doesn't make sense from a, no. a, a technical standpoint. But it's because mm-hmm. it's the thing that I've been doing with pencils for 30 years now that I like, but that I want it back. <laughs> so you've just reminded me what it was like on my Intuos, uh, which I basically traded in for an iPad. Um, the pen, the pen tip and the pen eraser tip had completely different feelings to them. They feel completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they do. So even when you flip it over, you know, and you have your eraser head, it's actually a much, much wider contact. It's it's rounded. It actually does have like a completely different texture to the pen nib. Like it it was a completely different tactile experience. And replacing that with um, click a button to get into eraser mode, I totally understand that it just lacks that physical feedback. Now, for what I'm saying, you would think I hate my new tablet. And that couldn't be further from the truth. (laughs) It is, in every other way, a direct upgrade. Like, I'm out here complaining, oh, oh, the eraser doesn't feel that good. Hmm. I mean, the eraser works. In every other way, it's it's a much better tablet. So I went from like an 8-inch drawing area to a 13.3-inch drawing area. That's absolutely huge. And... You might hear that and be like, oh, a 13-inch tablet? That's like the smallest screen tablet you can get. Yes, because I didn't want something that was a giant that was going to take up my entire desk. The tablet itself is still pretty big. It's got some chonky bezels on it. But I'm forgiving that. I'm going to forgive it for that. Uh, I do like the size of it. I'm glad that I didn't get something larger. 
Uh, I almost wish it was smaller, but I do like hmm. the size of it. And anyone who's ever worked with a screen tablet before will be like, yeah, I like having the, you can look at the screen and you can put your pen down and the lines you make are at the pen tip. And uh, as someone using like a, a, a screenless tablet for 10 years now, I'm going to keep using my tablet the way that I have before. I mirror my my desktop screen onto the tablet. And mm -hmm. so I'm basically not looking at the tablet at all while I draw. But oh, one thing that I found, one thing that I found, when I do need to look at a, a, a line, when I'm when I'm trying to ink a line and I can't get the right line, you this happens to a lot of people using tablets. You're like trying the line. You do like, like 50 times. You're pressing control Z on an instinct after every single single line because it's not right. You just look down at the I've screen never been there. and you make your line. <laughs> And you get it right within like the first or second try because you that can was actually always see. a difficulty for me. Inking was always way harder than sketching using like the the classic tablet, but with with like an actual screen to draw in now, it's so much easier. It Just be really like me. Is. Never sketch, never sketch, and every ink line <laughs> is there That's for the do. ink line you need. I, I get a point with my sketches where I just don't want to ink them because they look great and I know I'll I'll lose that fluidity of, of the brush strokes once I try to ink them. And then and then analysis paralysis sets in. There's actually a reason for that. So a lot of people a lot of people love their sketches and then hate their line art. Uh mm -hmm. If you ever have drawn that, if you ever have, like, tried to sketch something out and then tried to line it properly and you're like, wow, this looks like garbage, there is a reason for that. And it's because when you're doing a sketchy drawing with, like, your, your like, a lot of the lines, they're, they're going everywhere, they're messy, maybe they're not completely dark, and you think, this looks amazing. Why doesn't the line art look like that? What's going on? Your brain is interpre interpolating the line that you want to see. So because it has so much possibility, it's like as you as you narrow down the possibility, as you get rid of the other lines and you line it, you are collapsing the waveform. This is this is Schrodinger's line. Schrodinger's line art. The line art is simultaneously amazing and garbage until you actually draw the lines. And once you draw the lines, your brain is like, ah, that's not that's not really what I was thinking it was going to be. Pity. <laughs> Pity. That's one word for it. Really, all you can do about that is is do more line art. I, I'm actually at a point where I really like my line art now. Part of that is because I do my sketches at a really low resolution. I do my sketches at like 1,000 by 1,000. And then when I do my line art, I blow it up to like 2,000 or 4,000. And that way, I do my lines. Uh, any mistakes that I make can be hidden because when you export it, you might scale it down for the web or it might scale down by however people choose to view it. And the scaling down actually hides a lot of mistakes, which is really nice. The one thing that I have to constantly remind myself is that, well, I'm a pixel artist, but I also do like the high res art. I have to get rid of my pixel artist tendencies when I'm doing the high res art if there is a, a five pixel mistake on the high res art, I have to stop myself from zooming in all the way to fix that mistake 
No one's going to notice it. No one will know it's there except for me. I have to live with that or else I'm going to take forever. The other thing is try to work at 100% zoom as much as possible. Unlike pixel art where I'm working at like 1600% zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. All I'm hearing really is that we really should be doing a, uh, we should be doing a uh, drawing stream together. Yeah, let's do it. I would vibe we with that. Do a draw stream, or we could use like drop back onto garlic phone. Gar- gar- I love garlic. Garlic phone. phone. Garlic, garlic phone. phones. Garlic on a on a tablet is uh, it's a trip. It's so much better. <laughs> it it's both better and it's worse. You kind of don't get the um, excuse that you get to be like, I'm drawing with a mouse and it's turning out like garbage. Yeah, if if you pull out your tablet for Gardic Phone. Like you're drawing in Gardic Phone, which doesn't have a lot of actual like brush options or anything like that. So you're like, why am I doing this to myself? When you have 45 seconds to draw, do you really want 100 different brush options to sort through? Yes, because I can finish. I finish my art pretty quick. But if you're spending 30 seconds choosing the right brush, you're not going to be quick about it. The only thing no. I wish Gardic Phone had would be the pressure sensitivity, but I can forgive uh-huh. it. I, I, can I can forgive, forgive that. it. It does have. There are brushes have. that do already that. don't have a lot of pressure sensitivity anyway. I definitely have pressure sensitivity. Hmm. Your tablet does, but Gardic Phone doesn't. All right. Nancy's I don't think I've sure done phone. it before. I, I haven't played in sure months. Maybe before. they've changed it. I couldn't say for certain. But, but that's anyways. okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm very I happy for your new toy. I think that's our stream for the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with it too. It's uh, it's very nice, and I've been it's been something that I've wanted for years now. I've I've felt like my old tablet has been limiting me, so this one should hopefully let me stretch out my arms a little bit, make the art a little bit better, maybe a little bit faster, maybe a little bit uh less bad who knows who knows mm. mm-hmm. but i i'm i'm enjoying it it's nice mm. it's good can't wait to see more of it and i can't wait for another episode next week next week my god but that's a whole week away and we'll be another week closer to Odafest, honestly another week closer to the grave Thanks again to umomo for sponsoring our episode we had a lot to talk about a lot of uh introspective sites on convention running and then also tablets <laughs> yes <laughs> goodbye everybody Bye. Bye.